And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. Today, as we know, not only has this not been fulfilled, but even Jews themselves are banned from uttering outright prayer on the mount. And the Jewish people's connection to the Temple Mount, Judaism's most sacred site, is denied and derided around the world. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 142, Words on the Western Wall. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. As we bring Isaiah to a close, let us return to the extraordinary account of William Seward's journey to the Holy Land in 1872, described in a travel memoir edited by his son. Seward, who had been Abraham Lincoln's Secretary of State, spent his last day in Jerusalem on Friday afternoon watching the Jews of the city weeping at the Western Wall. Seward tells us, quote, The Jewish Sabbath being on Saturday and beginning at sunset on Friday, the weekly wail of the Jews under the wall takes place on Friday and is a preparation for the rest and worship of the day, which they are commanded to keep holy. The small rectangular oblong area without roof or canopy serves for the gathering of the whole remnant of the Jewish nation in Jerusalem, end quote. And Seward then goes on to describe what he calls this weekly wail, the Jewish mourning for the city and the temple. Quote, they are attended by their rabbis, each bringing the carefully preserved and elaborately bound text of the book of the Lamentations of Jeremiah, either in their respective languages or in the original Hebrew. For many hours they pour forth their complaints, reading and reciting the poetic language of the prophet, beating their hands against the wall and bathing the stones with their kisses and tears. It is no mere formal ceremony. End quote. As Seward himself notes, this Jewish weeping suddenly stopped with the onset of the Sabbath, the day, as Seward reflects, that Jews are obligated to keep holy. And so they move from mourning to happiness, anticipating the redemption of Jerusalem that is yet to come. The combination of weeping and joy, mourning and celebration, this captures the themes of the closing chapters of Isaiah. And it can be accurately asserted that the prophet's pathos and the love and longing that his words inspired throughout the centuries are ultimately embodied in several words of Isaiah that are inscribed on the Western Wall to this day. The concluding passages in Isaiah give us some of the most resplendent words in the book, linking mourning for Jerusalem to the redemption yet to come. Thus, chapter 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Joy, in other words, Isaiah promises, will replace mourning. Then there is chapter 65, verse 19. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Thus, weeping, mourning, consolation, and redemption are constant and central themes. Interestingly, in at least some versions of the Sephardic tradition, Two verses from these passages of Isaiah are recited to one who is ending the Shiva, who is concluding the morning ritual for a loved one. The first verse is Isaiah 60, verse 20. Your sun will never set again and your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of mourning will end. The second verse, said to the rising mourner, appears in the 66th chapter, verse 13. As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you, and in Jerusalem you will be consoled. Mourning again is joined with the promise of its ultimate end, 
The implication here, perhaps, is that weeping for Jerusalem is connected to ultimate consolation in Jerusalem. By refusing to forget Jerusalem, by continuing to mourn for Jerusalem, Jews will ultimately merit to see the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Therefore, immediately after the Almighty promises that as a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you, and in Jerusalem you will be consoled, he then adds the following through Isaiah in verse 14. When you see this, your heart will rejoice and your bones will flourish like grass. The hand of the Lord will be made known to his servants. Why should mourning for Jerusalem be the ultimate source of redemption? The answer, as I argued in my Tikvah lecture about the observance of Tisha B'Av, is that Jewish mourning for Jerusalem and the Temple is an obvious indication of Judaism's ability through ritual to bridge generations, to take its adherence back in time, to re-experience the trials and travails of one's ancestors, and to refuse to allow them to die. It is Rabbi Soloveitchik who, describing the Jewish approach to memory, wrote that, quote, Memory is not just the capacity of man to know events which lie in the past. Memory is experiential in nature. One does not simply recollect the past or just remember bygones, but re-experiences that which has been and quickens events that are seemingly dead, end quote. Rasolovitchik calls this the unitive time consciousness in Judaism. And it's only with this in mind, he adds, that we can understand how mourning for the temple can take place to this day. After all, Jews don't sit shiva for someone who passed away millennia ago. And if Jews, as they do on Tisha B'Av, sit shiva for the temple, it is because for them, through memory, the temple can be re-experienced and the destruction of the temple can be re-experienced. Referring to the elegies, or keynote, said on the ninth of Av, Rabbi Soloveitchik writes that Jewish mourning for the temple would, quote, be a ludicrous institution if we did not have the unitive time consciousness. We say in the keynote, Bilel Zeh, on this night my temple was destroyed. Bilel Zeh means tonight. Apparently, 1900 years ago is neither remote nor distant from us. It is living, end quote. Thus, if Isaiah emphasizes that the mourning for Jerusalem is linked to its ultimate redemption, this is because mourning for Jerusalem ensured that Jews would not forget Jerusalem. Mourning for Jerusalem helped ensure that Jews would ultimately return to Jerusalem. Thus it was that around 80 years after William Seward came to the sacred city, Menachem Begin arrived in the Holy Land. He too went to the Western Wall, where the British government had prohibited certain forms of Jewish observance. In response, Begin wrote an article in the underground paper of the Irgun, declaring that, quote, These stones are not silent. They do not cry out. They whisper. They speak softly of the house that once stood here, of kings who knelt here once in prayer, of prophets and seers who here declaimed their message, of heroes who fell here dying, and of how the great flame at once destructive and illuminating was here kindled. This was the house and this the country which, with its seers and kings and fighters, was ours before the British was a nation. End quote. Mourning through memory creates reality, and Isaiah therefore links Jewish mourning with the consolation yet to come. The way that Jews responded to tragedy is the key to Jewish endurance and return. Now here, ladies and gentlemen, is what is amazing. By the time that William Seward arrived at the Western Wall, it had become a central site of Jewish mourning in the world. Not, as is wrongly thought by many, because the Western retaining wall of the Temple Mount is Judaism's holiest site but rather because, as Seward noted, that this was the place where Jews had been allowed by the authorities to gather to mourn for the temple that had sat atop the mount, which is, of course, the actual holiest site of Judaism. But a site of Jewish mourning for Jerusalem, the Western Wall became. And some of you may know that on the southern edge of that Western Wall, there is what has been called an ancient form of Jewish graffiti, words carved into the stone after the destruction by someone 
And what is inscribed is a verse from Isaiah in Hebrew, the very verse that appears right after God's guarantee that the Jewish people will be consoled in Jerusalem. When you see this, your heart will rejoice and your bones will flourish like grass. The hand of the Lord will be made known to his servants. When exactly this inscription was made, we cannot be sure. But without question, it was put there many hundreds of years ago. Some suggest that it was inscribed at a purported moment of redemption, when the Roman Emperor Julian, who loved animal sacrifice, attempted to rebuild the temple on behalf of the Jews as part of his debates with the Christians in the 360s CE. According to this interpretation, the inscribed verse is a testament to the belief by the Jewish inscriber that Isaiah's promise was coming true before his very eyes. But others assert that the verse was put there later during the Byzantine period. Either way, there are two striking features about the inscription noted by many. The first is that the graffiti carver left out the Hebrew word chaf from one of Isaiah's words, which changes the meaning. Rather than va'atzmotechem kadesha tifrachna, your bones will flourish like grass. What is written is v'atzmotam kadesha tifrachna, their bones will flourish like grass. The verse this way speaks not of the Jewish people experiencing renewal in the future, but them, their bones, promising that those who have already died will live once more. Several suggestions have been made to explain this odd change. But perhaps the Jew who wrote these words several centuries after the temple's destruction gazed at the devastation and chose to stress that when redemption does come, it will be in merit of Jewish mourning and Jewish memory, because those who lived in Jerusalem before or showed their love for Jerusalem before continue to live within us. The second striking feature to this Isaiah inscription is that it is unfinished. It stops in the middle of the word Kadesha, that your bones will flourish like grass. And here, the symbolism is especially striking. The incomplete verse reminds us to this day that much of Isaiah's vision is only partially fulfilled. On the one hand, we know well that many of the descriptions of the eschatological age that we have studied in this book have not yet arrived. War has certainly not been abolished. Some of Isaiah's closing chapters describe the defeat of Israel's enemies, and we know that while many of the ancient attackers of the Jews have indeed ended up on the ash heap of history, at the same time, the enmity of anti-Semites still exists. Isaiah's dream in one of the book's opening passages is of a temple and temple mount where all will give homage to the God who dwells in Jerusalem, to the God of Jacob. Isaiah later describes this as a dream of a house of prayer for all nations, and he concludes his book with the following penultimate verse, And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. Today, as we know, not only has this not been fulfilled, but even Jews themselves are banned from uttering outright prayer on the mount and the Jewish people's connection to the Temple Mount, Judaism's most sacred site, is denied and derided around the world. At the same time, to read Isaiah is to discover prophecies that were read year after year in profound faith and have been fulfilled in our own age. How else are we to react to the fourth verse of chapter 61? They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And to read of the unlikely events that brought the modern state of Israel into being, especially the United Nations vote on the partition plan, is to think of Isaiah's words in his concluding chapter, verse 8. Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such things? Is a land born in one day? 
a nation brought forth at once, for as soon as Zion went into labor, she brought forth her children. The partial inscription from Isaiah on the Western Wall thus embodies our own age. We do not know who wrote these words, but we do know that that Jew lives whenever we gaze upon them. And at that moment, a prophet who wants to claim them lives as well, a prophet of hope and consolation whose promises sustained the Jews throughout the centuries and inspired us still. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, looking forward to learning together next week, signing off.